Today's scripture readings come from Psalm chapter 16 and 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in the Psalms. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another god multiply their sorrows. They drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my portion, my chosen portion, and my cup you hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices, my body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now from 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Even if now for a little while you also have had to suffer various trials, so the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not yet seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lauren. You, too, can be a liturgist on a Sunday morning. Just let me know if you want to. We'll sign you up. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your Spirit upon us, that as your Scripture has been read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us today. Amen. One time, a few years ago, maybe a lot of years ago, my sister, my cousin, and I were playing hide-and-seek at my grandparents' house. Now, we all knew every nook and cranny of that house. My granddaddy built that house with his own hands. And so it wasn't a very challenging game. We knew the best spots, like in the back of Granddaddy's closet behind his hanging-up clothes, or crouched down in the pink bathtub where, if somebody didn't come into the bathroom too far and the lights were off, was a pretty good spot, 
or behind the door in the room off the kitchen where the deep freeze and all of the small, shallow um, shelves for all the canning were lined against the walls. Now, my grandmother played the organ, and she had an organ, a big organ, like a full-size organ in the living room. And Granddaddy had made a cover for the keys that was out of plywood, really light plywood, or heavy cardboard or something. I don't know what it was made out of, but he had covered it in like contact paper, fancy contact paper, but it was to go over the keys so they wouldn't get dusty, you know, when she wasn't playing. And it was about, I don't know, this, this deep, about this long, you know, as long as a keyboard. And there was a little lip that came down in the front to cover the front of the keys. She had just been playing the organ, and the cover was kind of propped up on the side against the wall in the corner. I realized that I could squeeze my six-year-old body in behind that cover without moving it too much. And the lip of it kind of faced the rest of the room, and the open space was kind of towards the corner. So I was pretty well hid. In fact, it was such a good hiding place that no one found me. And my sister and my cousin got bored, and they went and found something else to do, which included plopping down on the couches that were feet from my hiding spot. Now I had a choice. I could pop out and scare them and hopefully gain praise over such a great hiding place, or I could wait them out and stay put until I could creep out unnoticed and save my secret. I chose the latter. As a child, I was stubborn, something I've not grown quite out of. And I was also very patient, which unfortunately I think I have grown out of. Sadly, the next time I tried to hide there, I was too big. And it really wasn't worth sharing the tale. In fact, my telling of this story today may very well be the unveiling of the greatest hiding spot that ever was. I hope you all had a glorious Easter. It was exceptional around here at Washington Park United Methodist Church. There were hundreds of people, somewhere between 500, 550, I mean, is our, our guesstimate, standing room only at 9.30. Children all over, Easter egg hunt, our living cross, perfect weather, brass quartet, choir, and even a baptism at the 11 o'clock service. It was everything Easter should be. But here we are today. Today, we face the question that we contemplate every Sunday after Easter. Now what? Christ has died, Christ is risen, death is conquered, alleluia, and now what? 
We love the idea that the whole world is changed and that Jesus' death is not in vain, and yet we see the world around us, and is it much different than it was a couple of weeks ago? You know, we don't have very good role models, I'm afraid, with how to deal with this post-Easter feeling. The disciples pretty much hold themselves up after that first Easter, not quite understanding what the empty tomb meant, not quite believing Mary's story of the gardener in the garden that wasn't a gardener after all, but Jesus alive. Essentially, the disciples stayed underground until Pentecost, when the Spirit drove them out of hiding. And the context for our scripture today, the first Peter passage, it's decades after Pentecost. And the writer of the letter, traditionally thought of as Peter, since the letter is called First Peter, but probably was written on the behalf of Peter, is reaching out to non-Jewish Christian communities in Asia Minor that are facing persecution and suffering for being Christians from their Roman neighbors. Not only did they face criticism, they feared for their safety and for their lives. As one commentary puts it, this letter was written when the church was under constant threat, when the benediction was spoken in a whisper, because everyone knew when they gathered again, someone likely would be missing, caught up in the cleansing, deportations, and imprisonment. There was reason to hide. There was reason to keep silent. And we can understand that they might have asked very deep questions. Again, one commentary says that these might have been their questions. Questions began to be raised. Should we go underground? Should we hide? Blend in? Act like them? Should our faith move inside, inside our heads and inside of our hearts? Now, if the question is, should we run away, should we hide? Who better to answer this question of this early faith community than Peter? The disciple who proclaimed with everything that he had that he would never desert Jesus. And the same disciple who creeped around outside the place where Jesus was being questioned and tortured and beaten and who, when people asked him if he was a friend of Jesus, denied it three separate times. Peter has been there. Peter knows what it's like. He knows the temptation to save your own skin, and so who better to address the early Christian community in Asia Minor than Peter, who knows what it's like. And, and we know it too, at least to some extent. 
I mean, let's be real. None of us risk our lives or our safety by proclaiming to be Christian. You know what? We very well just might risk our reputation. We do not want to risk being pegged as one of those Christians, and I think you know what I mean. The ones that deny that faith and science can coexist, that are automatically seen as exclusionary and judgmental, even hateful at times. We're not one of those Christians. It's such a pervasive assumption in our society about people who claim to be Christian that I don't know about you, but I find it a lot easier to just keep that under wraps. Sometimes I don't want people even to know I'm a pastor. I don't want to risk the assumption that I'm closed-minded, unloving, right-leaning, immovable, and condemnatory. Best to just keep quiet and not let anybody know my secret. Fred Craddock, one of my favorite preachers of all time, and Lauren would be upset if I did not share that Fred Craddock was Disciples of Christ, Lauren's Disciples of Christ. He's one of my favorites. He tells a story. Now, you got to hear this in um, kind of an uh, old man southern voice, so just get that in your head. Okay. I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt. I had left the family and children in the little parish I served and moved into a little room to prepare, prepare for those terrible comprehensive exams. It's make it or break it time. They can kill you. I would go out every night around 11.30 or 12 to a little all-night diner. No tables, just stools and have a grilled cheese and a cup of coffee to take a break from my studies. It was the same every night. The fellow behind the counter at the grill knew when I walked in to prepare grilled cheese and a cup of coffee. He'd give me a refill, sometimes come again and give me another refill. I joined the men of the night sitting there hovering over coffee, still thinking about my own possible questions about the New Testament oral exams. Then I noticed a man who was there when I went in, but had not yet been waited on. I had been waited on, had a refill, and so had the others. Then finally, the man behind the counter went to the man at the end of the counter and said, What do you want? He was an old, gray-haired black man. Whatever the man said, the fellow went to the grill, scooped up a little dark patty off the back of the grill, put it on a piece of bread without condiment, without napkin. The cook handed it to the man who gave him some money and then went out the side door by the garbage can and out to the street. He sat on the curb with the 18 wheelers of the night with the salt and pepper from the street to season his sandwich. I didn't say anything. I did not reprimand, protest, or witness to the cook. I did not go out and sit beside the man at the curb on the edge. I didn't do anything. I was thinking about the questions coming up on the New Testament exam. 
And as I left that little place, went up the hill back to my room to resume my studies, off in the distance, I heard the cock crow. Friends, our faith is a precious thing. More precious than gold, says Peter. The psalm says there is no good apart from God. Jesus died so that we might have new hope, a living hope, a gift that we are not meant to keep to ourselves. Jesus didn't die so that we could hide in our houses or our rooms or our hearts or our heads. Jesus conquered death so that the whole world could have life. And so we are called, my friends, to rejoice with voices that speak out against injustice, to rejoice with hands that reach out to feed and clothe, to rejoice with feet that go to where this gift is needed. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.